Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is responding to the climate crisis. My name is Greg Cochran. I'm a podcaster and journalist. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician from the band Savages and the co-founder of Music Declares Emergency, a campaign organisation bringing the music industry together in a fight against climate change. And this time on Sounds Like a Plan... We take a look at some of the headlines in the colliding worlds of music and climate. And we're talking community with our guest Heidi Lemfer, keyboardist in the band Cloud Control and the founder of Future Energy Artists. Really innovative project. We'll hear about how she's brought together her musician friends to build a clean energy solar farm in Australia and how she'd like to take the idea worldwide. And as always, we'll make sure we leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast feels a bit like the dust has settled and we can all catch our breath a little bit after really hectic few weeks for climate action in the music world and also climate action and and climate news uh, more generally. Faye, you had an incredibly busy time at the end of April uh, around uh, Earth Day and the week and of all the things that were going on then. What was the kind of debrief like from music declares emergency um your point of view how how did it go and and what do you think the impact of everything you did was well um hi greg i actually took a week off so i missed the debrief i've been working on some music so i took the the moment where everything was calming down a bit to getting on with my record but the general feeling of the week is that we were really amazed how well it went how many people got on board i mean it's always a bit touch and go you know you're asking artists get on board with this this idea this campaign and people are interested and then they don't do it and you're kind of bugging them a few times but it just felt like everyone who said they'd do something did we had amazing like we had mel c from the spice girls wear our t-shirt i mean i saw that mel c is the coolest that's so good (laughs) but then also it wasn't just like pop world we also had incredible support from Kerrang. They made these amazing films of architects Mm. and other bands. And the classical music world as well just really came together. And we haven't even finished yet, really. We've got even more T-shirts that even didn't get launched during the week because we ran out of time. And it's all just going to really, from this point, regroup. And then um, all of the attention is going to be on... You know, just getting the the eyes of the world onto COP26, which is the, the UN climate negotiations in November hosted in Glasgow, um, possibly hosted online, but it's, you know, centred around Glasgow. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be about bringing more people in, just really keep building on, on what we've done. I think people know who we are now a bit more. If you've seen No Music mm. on a Dead Planet, that's us. And, yeah, so just more work basically but i've just taken a lovely week off to chill you can probably hear it in my voice i'm feeling very calm yeah well deserved two quick things before we move on the um music declares emergency had uh, as part of what you're doing to raise awareness you, were, you already mentioned that you had musicians um supporting the campaign by wearing music declares emergency t-shirts you've got lots of different designs what were some of the best ones you mentioned mel c but but then you had artists of all varieties wearing these t-shirts what, what were some of the other uh, great kind of shots that you got sent that you could share yeah i mean amazing shot of ricky from kaiser chiefs of his dog we had justin from the vaccines we had soak it was just like the vast range and for us it's really important to get the message beyond you know the usual 
let's let's make this our Coldplay reference beyond the usual people talking about climate like Coldplay for example mm. and get it you know get the message into different audiences um that maybe aren't expecting their um mm. favorite singer to be coming out in support of climate action so mm. that's really important for us so that the more um weird and wonderful in a way the better so yeah go to our instagram at music declares and then you can see a whole bunch of people that i forgot to mention um Um, talk to me a little bit about climate live because the week of action ended with a gig um from declan mckenna playing on a barge opposite the houses of parliament in london right so that was a great kind of um peak moment if you like to to some of the stuff that was happening that week but the climate live uh what are they who are they and and they're going to be doing more stuff later in the year is that right yeah i mean basically climate live are brilliant they are they've come out of the fridays for future movement and uk scn which is the uk schools climate network and so it's all sort of youth-based youth-led they're basically putting on like the climate live aid that everyone's been trying to put on and there's been huge companies there's been huge huge like different groups of people trying to do this thing but it's actually these young people who are actually making it happen basically and everything that they do is just so spot on it's so the right messaging it's just there's no sort of corporate interest there's no sort of ulterior motives it's just really pure and really just incredible hard work from the team because they're obviously sort of 17 18 years old and trying to persuade the music industry to do stuff when you're that age isn't easy so um we've been working with them for quite a long time and we should definitely get francis fox who's sort of heading it up in the uk onto the show yeah definitely and i feel like i've forgotten to mention exactly what they are basically it's a global movement to put on climate concerts the big climate live aid but globally so they did an event last saturday which was um declan mckenna playing live on a barge in front of the house of parliament with their slogan can you hear us yet but also that wasn't it wasn't just there it was happening all around the world there's like brazil there's maybe 14 or 15 different countries with a a constant live stream going between all of them, which is incredible. And then in October, they've booked the O2 and basically they're going to do a massive climate gig. So yeah, if you book them, they will come, as they say, like you, (laughs) (laughs) it's, you know, it's just incredible being 18 years old and booking the O2 and persuading Mm. them that this is going to happen. We're going to make it happen. I'm just, absolutely overwhelmed by how brilliant they are yeah and i'm excited to hear about more what they've got planned for later in the year it sounds like it's going to be massive so that's we sh- you're, you're absolutely right we, I'm, uh, there's no way we won't come back to talking about uh, climate live again yeah before we introduce our guest on this time in the podcast we are now halfway through season one of sounds like a plan and um the response to the episodes we've shared so far has been amazing so thank you and if you are joining us for the first time do dig into the conversations we've released already so we started with you Faye that was episode one the best one obviously I mean that was the standout (laughs) one absolutely but there is there quite literally is no better place to start than episode one Um, Ed O'Brien from Radiohead has been on and spoken to us we heard um, Chiara Badiali from the organisation Julie's Bicycle and last time out it was Jamie Obon the manager of the 1975 so 
do give us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to us right now on uh, and tell a podcast loving friend about us if you think they might enjoy listening to Sounds Like a Plan also we love to hear from you we're on Instagram at Sounds Like a Plan Podcast and also email a uh, good old fashioned email sounds like a plan podcast at gmail.com um, we have got a space for one more guest on this first series so if you've got any ideas for that do get in touch and let us know um on to this week's guest then um a little while ago Faye and i were fortunate enough to speak to heidi lempfer from the band cloud control a couple of years ago she began looking into the carbon footprint of her band's touring and while she was horrified by what she found she decided to come up with a proactive constructive offsetting solution Um, as you're about to hear she created future energy artists which is a group of musicians who all came together to invest in the build of a clean energy solar farm it is an ingenious and inspiring project Um, we'll post some links in our show notes so that you can see exactly what it looks like but for now uh, let's hear from Heidi this is Heidi Lempfer on Sounds Like a Plan Heidi, welcome to Sounds Like a Plan. It's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast to talk about your work with future energy artists. Um, How do you usually explain it to someone who has never heard of it before? Hmm. Okay. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk to you both and be on your podcast. Um, The way I'd explain it is... If you're touring in a climate emergency, there's got to be like strong strategies in place that you bring along with you um, to help counteract the effects that you're having. So FEET is a way for artists to invest in solar farms and transform the impact from from being a negative one into a positive one when they go on tour. So it's not a carbon offsetting scheme specifically, but it is a way of reimagining the impact that you can have as an as a musician not just changing hearts through your music but also leaving an environmental legacy that will reshape the future so that's i've never explained it that way um that was just how i explained it right now to you guys but it's it's basically a solar investment movement where any artist can be part of accelerating the clean energy future by investing in these solar farms that we're building in australia it's only Australia-centric at the moment, but there's no reason why this couldn't go be a model that's replicated in other territories. So, Heidi, I was going to ask, say I was a touring musician in Australia, how would I go about doing that? What would be the process? So at the moment, um, due to COVID, we are not uh, taking on any new investment. But when we are opening again later this year, fingers crossed, um, all it would involve is a short online application form where you put in your details. You know, it's, it's an investment. So, you know, you have to put in your legit details and um, get it checked out and do your ID checks and all that. And then you transfer a chunk of money that you want to be put into a solar farm in Australia. And then that money is like a little ethical nest egg for yourself. So you're buying a piece of a solar farm that will generate energy for up to 30 years. And that is designed to be like a long-term income stream for you as well. So not a big one, but just like a, a, a small return that ticks over each year as that electricity gets sold into the grid. 
So it's like a little... Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's like an eth- ethical nest egg as well as, you know, a way to reshape the impact that your touring has. Where did the inspiration come from, Heidi? Was it was it an idea you'd seen in different areas outside of music before you undertook it with, in terms of inviting people within the music world to get involved with this? Mm, yeah, I was really inspired by Europe in particular, Scotland and Germany, the Netherlands. There were all of these little groups of just regular citizens who were banding together and putting solar panels on their local sports club house or powering their local brewery with a wind turbine. And um, it was called the community energy model. And I hadn't seen it done in Australia before, but then when I looked it up, um, turns out there were about 70 examples of it happening in Australia. Um, And it was all like very much geographically centric groups of people, you know, putting something on a local thing, right? So what if we could sort of supercharge that idea, make it less geographically tied, but have like a community of dispersed touring musicians who are putting money into shared projects, like joint projects that are on the ground in different parts of Australia. So it was sort of, I wanted to tweak the model in a way that could be inclusive to all touring musicians and not just have it bound by where you live. Can you take us back a bit to the the period when you started Feet or rather can you take us back to the period before you started Feet? What was happening with you and what did you what made you want to come up with an initiative like Feet? Was there a sort of um a particular moment where you, where you sort of realised that uh, what you'd been doing, your, your kind of carbon footprint was something that you didn't feel comfortable with and so you wanted to try and find a solution. What was like those years prior to starting Feet, what was going on then in your mind? Mm. Well, I've been touring around the UK and Europe for maybe eight, eight years or... I've been a musician for about 10 years by that point. Um, so this is going back to about 2000. 16, 17, when I had a chance to come off the road for, we were starting a new album. Um, and so I think any musician I talk to generally has uh, an appreciation of the fact that touring for a living is highly unsustainable. But there's, um, there's this bit of a cognitive dissonance going on where you're like, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to plug on and, you know, hopefully someone, someone, someone somewhere will solve the problem for me. So I, I was one of those people who were, were increase, increasingly um, uncomfortable about the fact that we have to tour, you know, to America three times in an album cycle. It just made no sense and was just, just distressing on, on many levels. Um, and so when I stopped touring to write the third record, our third record, I thought, look, this climate change thing's not going away. It's only getting bigger. Um, I need to understand what the hell it means. Um, I need to get my head around the science. And then I need to figure out what my band can do when we go on tour with this new record. So it was a real, a pros- like it was a, a personal decision I'd made to figure out what I was going to do differently. And at that stage, there was no, there was not a skerrick of a thought of it being broader than our band. But I thought I'll do the work and figure out what we can do. And so I started calling climate scientists, actually. And I spoke to um, people at universities all around Australia. They often have the little, the landline number on websites if you just Google, <laughs> Google it. So I just sort of left, I cold called a bunch of people and left messages saying, I'm a, I'm a touring musician. What can musicians do differently? You know, is there anything we can do during a 
climate crisis that will actually be effective or is it all just going to be another greenwashing marketing exercise because I'm not interested in doing that. So I went on that journey for about four months talking to various people and basically giving myself a like a mini science degree um, as best as I could. And then through that process, I got invited to go on a science trip to Heron Island, which is a small island in the Great Barrier Reef, which is the greatest, um, well, the biggest barrier reef in the world, just in northern Queensland. And on that trip, I spoke to a biologist who'd been living and working on, on Heron Island for many years, and she'd modelled out four different aquariums um, with slightly increasing water temperatures and that had the same corals in each one. And she was basically, it was a vision into the future. That was the moment, I think, that changed me forever. Seeing these four tanks and seeing the destruction of the coral in each one. And, and not, only, not only does coral, coral get bleached um, by rising water temperatures, it actually just breaks down and becomes rubble and then gets covered in algae as it gets hotter than that. And so we're not actually at that point where the oceans are warm enough to see that happening. But the smell of rotting algae-covered coral in that fourth tank was just a, just a jarring emotional scar that I, like fueled, the, fueled my work for the next four plus years. Um, and I still sometimes think about that smell. Um, <laughs> And, you know, there's nothing that nothing will erase that uh, experience. And I'm really grateful that I was able to be on that expedition. And they've since run. So I was on the first year. They, they basically get asked 25 people in different industries who had shown an interest in, in this. And they'd invited them along and had a crash course with some um, climate professionals as well as um, working scientists. And it was, it was so... Yeah, it was so mind-blowing. That process of six months of really deep diving into the issue was what got me to the point of deciding I needed to launch something within my industry. And do you want me to talk about how I got to solar farms in particular? Because that was another leap. Yeah, I think so. Like connecting that experience of being sort of jolted into wanting to make action and then discovering what the right idea was going to be and, and and also what an idea you thought your colleagues in music would be interested in mm, yeah because that's that's the kicker there um it had to be because i knew that whatever i landed on had to check out scientifically like i wasn't interested in doing a marketing push that you know was a bit rubbish on the science front and then i needed it to be something that was visionary enough to like get me excited and keep me excited because i knew that i was going to sink a whole bunch of time into this and big enough to excite the imagination because I think behavioral change comes from emotional experiences and excitement and so I'm seeing this real David Attenborough effect which I'm calling it that it's really sad but it's the David Attenborough effect that I'm seeing a lot of people online saying they can't watch his docos now because it's too distressing it's like it's too depressing and Unfortunately, like I often am in danger of falling into that category of like inert inaction because mm. it's actually too painful and it's too hurtful to engage with the subject. So I didn't want to launch something that was going to flex that 
depressive climate action muscle. I really wanted to launch something in the optimistic, positive category um, and really, really engage the creative muscle of the industry. Because, you know, musicians, that's what we do for a living. We make you conjure stuff out of nothing. And so I really, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the movement could be based around building stuff, which, you know, after we leave a field, there's a giant solar farm there for the next 30 years generating clean energy. You know, I, I wanted to have tangible outcomes. Um, so how we came to solar farms is that in the course of speaking to the climate scientists, I learned quite quickly that we had a massive infrastructural problem to fix. The world needed to you know, globally transition into like the fourth energy revolution. So, you know, we've had, um, we've been reliant on coal for so long, but coal is no longer, that, that was the 19, well, 1890s, 1900s sort of energy source. We're way past that now. Now we're into um, regenerative energy sources and there's an infrastructural problem that needs to be solved like the whole world needs to transition but we don't have the stuff built yet so the science community by and large said look offsetting is a good thing to do but we've got this massive problem where we actually just need to build a whole bunch of stuff like we just need to upgrade the grid we need to build the energy source of the next centuries it's a mammoth undertaking and I was like well look you know if there's something that's going to excite the imagination of musicians who love to dream big you know it's going to be let's revolutionize the energy system and let's do it let's accelerate it and let's have a plan to roll out large-scale solar infrastructure that's going to power Australia for the next century and so I went back to the science community with that idea and they said well you know 100% that would give artists ownership of the future that needs to be built it would accelerate the national conversation around climate change in a way that hasn't really been done before and it's what needs to happen so go for it we've got to the point where you started feet then and you're going to launch it and you're going to get in touch with lots of people you know within the music community there in Australia what was the original reaction like and what was artist sign up and participation like did it did it was it what you expected did it surprise you what happened next so I still have a screenshot of the message exchange that I had between myself and Peking Duck who are you know one of a, like a dance duo in Australia who are wildly popular and I was just texting Ruben. I was like, hey, Ruben, would you, would you invest in solar farms if I launched a thing where all musicians, you know, build solar farms? And he was like, fuck yeah. And he had like <laughs> 500 exclamation marks. Um, I'll do it. I'm in. Sign me up. And like I, I screenshot that and kind of I had it as my phone background for like a few months just to keep me motivated, being like, people are going to be into this. Um, yeah, and that was by and large the reaction because the only reason why you wouldn't get involved with us is if you know we didn't have a sound investment product and so we I, I made sure to partner with a really respected um, investment company here in Australia that has a has a name already so that would check oh. out straight away um, and then really it was about like you know do you have 
10 to 30 grand in your bank account that you are willing to put as an investment into the future, you know, for a certain tier of band, the answer was yes. And then for the artists that I wanted to bring along for the journey who were emerging and perhaps didn't have money like that, we started a program where they could put an extra dollar on their ticket price. And so right from the start of a touring career, we wanted to encourage artists to be putting aside money for the future, to build the future and as well as, you know, build a nest egg for themselves because we all know that artists could do with a little more financial long-term thinking um, and assistance in that respect, um, given how unstable our industry is. I think that's brilliant. And I think that the fact that the musicians get um, investment returns back from that is such a, it's sort of mind-blowing idea really because a lot of things feel like you just have to put in money and wave goodbye to it and say you know that's I'm throwing money at this problem that's my offset and I mean especially artists get asked for so much they get asked to be involved in things and represent things and wear the t-shirt and speak out and a lot of it is is giving but the idea of a musician getting something back from it is um quite rare in the music industry actually (laughs) but really refreshing to hear about Um, I've actually got a really practical question and maybe I'm sounding dumb or misunderstanding but did you um did you buy a field what how did you build your solar farm what was the starting point do you have this sort of space that you then bit by bit fill with solar um panels or what's that process not a dumb question at all i had to learn all of this stuff so um we partnered with a solar developer who their whole job is to find fields and you know build relationships with farmers uh who want to use their fields in new and interesting ways um and one of the problems that climate change is creating in australia is just ongoing drought some regions of australia used to be fertile and now they're just barren land and so you've got these farmers who have large tracts of land that can't grow their crops anymore they keep failing year on year and so approaching farmers like that to repurpose their fields for you know climate solutions um, is a great way to lease land so yeah so our solar developers headed up that process so they found um, attractive land in rural southwest Queensland in a place called Yarran Lee. It used to be a sorghum wheat farm which failed six times in a row and it's about the size of two football fields next to each other if you can imagine about 90 hectares Mm. Um, and the longest part of building a solar farm is all of the contractual stuff at the start so finding the site you know getting a contract team getting getting the team on site doing all those deals and then once once you say go, then it actually only takes about six months to build. So we got to go there. I got to walk through the field when it was just pocket pocketed with these dark, deep fissures um, where snakes were living. <laughs> and then six months later, I visited it again and all the panels, uh, well, no, all of the little stumps that hold up the panels were in and then like mm-hmm. half the panels had already been installed. So it was really... It was really energizing to see how fast these things can actually get up. Um, Yeah, and also really inspiring to hear the human stories behind that, like to know that that farmer was actually, you know, in a bit of a dire situation prior to Mm. getting that opportunity. Um, That was 
yeah, it was it was nice to go a bit deeper on the wider social implications of bringing new industries into formerly agricultural areas. Absolutely. And it, it feels like such an empowered thing to do as well. I feel like musicians or people listening to this would think, well, that's amazing, but I could never do that. I don't have the knowledge or I don't have the confidence. Is that, did you ever have a crisis of confidence or feel like you were, you know, out of your depth or I don't know, how did you feel about it? Because you sound super confident about it, but was that a, a journey that you went on? Mm. Um, I think I was always confident. Uh, that's just my approach. Um, it's not to say that I can do it better than anyone. I can't, like I learned everything from scratch, but I mm. think you're kneecapping yourself if you don't go into it um, you know, backing yourself. So I went into every, every stage. I was like, all right, honey, you got this. You've got this. Oh, I need to learn about impact investment. Okay, cool. All right. You've got this. Keep going. Um, so yeah, you know, you got to be your own champion uh, a lot of the time when you're launching a business because people can, you know, cheer along the sides, but if you're not backing yourself in your own corner, then you've got nothing. You'll, you'll fall over. So I really, I really tried to work on that um, self-driving muscle a lot, a lot of the way, but yeah, I really did learn everything, and it's not, and it's not to say that I'm a genius or anything because I really, I'm really not. I'm just, I learned, I learned enough to, to get me to make the partnerships that were smart, and then I put smarter people in charge of the things that I mm. couldn't do. So, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a journey anyone can go on. That's brilliant. It's so inspiring. Yeah. And what was it emotionally like visiting the solar farm when it had been completed, seeing the site for the first time, knowing that it was going to be generating clean energy? And also, what kind of stats have you, have you had back from the project? How, you know, how many homes do you know that it's powering, for example? Mm. So it was designed to generate enough energy for 11,000 500 homes roughly and it's just on the cusp of being able to do that so it's now in the final phase of electrical testing so even though it only took six months to put in all the panels there's been a bit of a backlog in Australia of like there's quite a lot of large solar farms coming online now and so the grid is taking a long time to be able to figure out how to let all of that new renewable energy into the grid in a way that keeps it stable. Um, I'm vastly oversimplifying this, by the way, because <laughs> I'm not an expert <laughs> in this field, but I do understand that there are challenges in the grid stuff. So to answer your question of how it felt, well, I did cry a little bit, not going to lie. <laughs> Walking through that field, my brother came with me because he's been my like partner on this journey. He plays drums in, in the band as well. So he's done all the design and everything and he's really helped shape the vision for feet as well and so he he came along and took a video of me standing in that field and talking um quite emotively that i haven't decided to share actually because i feel like it's a little bit too personal at making myself a bit vulnerable but um it was it was a really yeah it was really it was just damn cool to be there and and see and and know that every conversation i'd had with each artist could be seen to represent a solar panel there, really. Like if you could join those dots and it wouldn't be a lie. And that's that's just the power of collective action and people willing to back an idea. And I, I yeah, I hope it's the first of many as well, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking, how can I set this up in 
in England. I'll do it with you. uh, (laughs) Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's probably wind power is is more our our bag over here, unfortunately. I wish we had the Australian sun. But I mean, Mm. you don't need vast, vast, vast amounts of sunshine for solar power, do you? I mean, Mm. my knowledge of it is quite poor, but... Yeah, well, I mean, Australia is quite blessed in the conditions that we have for renewable energy. So it's actually remarkable. It's actually um, a crying shame that we're not a renewable energy powerhouse because we really, as a nation, should be. But there are other reasons I won't go into right now about why we're not. But it was a deliberate (laughs) choice not to be that. Um, But I'm actually quite serious about setting feet up over there with you oh. if you're interested like i've i've already i've been mulling over the ways of doing of like replicating this model in different territories and it really does come down to finding you know a renewable partner like someone who's in yeah. charge of the techie stuff and then finding an investment partner who can manage the finances and make sure that all checks out and then you and i mobilize the community to bring the finances so that's really it's a it's a, it's a three-piece puzzle feels like this could be the start of something <laughs> watch this space <laughs> watch this space feet uk <laughs> i mean that that sounds like you've got a plan in terms of where you think that feet could go heidi in terms of being not just an australian initiative but obviously a, a global one and taking advantage of the different conditions in different places for to create clean energy um what about other initiatives that you're aware of like since you created feet is is there other things going on particularly that bring together the music community and sustainability what other things are you seeing out there that you are inspired by and excited by we've got a lot of high profile musicians in australia who prior to the pandemic have been leading um like beach cleanups um which is a way of like mobilizing the people coming to the show like the day before or the day after hanging like Mm -hmm you know, like doing some community, sweet community action um, in that local area where a gig has just been played or is about to be played. Like, I really love that idea that, that that's really using the same concept of feet in, in the sense of like you're leaving a legacy, um, an environmental legacy from that show, which, yeah, I really love. And that's, uh, you know, artists like Ziggy Alberts have been doing that and he's really leading the charge there but i'm seeing so many other musicians adopting the similar things um in terms of other music and environmental stuff happening in australia i just think there's just a general like conscious awakening um that's i think people have drawn a line in the sand that's you know there's no going back now there's there's people demanding uh no plastics writers and um mm. Green Music Australia is doing excellent work in terms in piloting a, a tent rental program for uh, festivals and you know like there's climate climate change being conflated with the plastics issue is not necessarily um, the right thing to do but it's all it all speaks to the same problem of like what is the human impact on the pian- on the planet and what can we do about it yeah. but I mean you would have seen you know people like Coldplay coming out and saying they're not going to tour anymore and um, I think while that's not and that's not an action that lots of bands could ever dream or afford to do because it would just mean they don't have a career, um, I, th- I think that people in that public space who occupy that public space should be doing stuff like that and making statements like that which really indicate a shift in, um, in the zeitgeist. I, I agree with you and I, they weren't saying everyone should stop touring either. I think they, they did receive sort of mixed 
mixed sort of responses from that move but really it's um that emergency statement and just people realizing how fast we need to act it really has helped along with sort of very um i don't know if ambitious is the word but very sort of strong action like that um and really taking a stand so yeah i agree that was quite an important moment yeah um greg when you were saying about like you know i clearly have like some kind of global plan for this like um i just wanted to say on that point i think the thing that i dwell on more and more on this journey is the importance of ownership and i think when you take ownership of something whether it's like putting money, putting skin in the game in any respect, whether it's changing your bank account or it's, you know, looking who who's in charge of your superannuation and where they're investing your stuff or whether it's going to a festival where you bring all of your own self-sustaining um, stuff um, along with you and then take it all away again so you don't turn up to a festival and expect that the festival is your mother who gives you everything and you can just act like an absolute child and walk away and have no ramifications from that um, I think that on a personal level combating the climate crisis will need to be like a matter of whether or not you have ownership of the matter of the issue or not and I think the thing that is successful about feet at a philosophical level is that it gives artists ownership of the issue at a really tangible level. So it's your dollar funding the future of energy. And it's that sacrifice that builds a long-term relationship with you and a piece of land in Australia that has a bit of stuff on it that creates energy. You know, it's like it's joining those dots and then like planting regenerative seeds that the artist then can take ownership of and not just walk away from. So like feet gives people a long-term investment in a valuable asset. And I think previously I've seen a lot of environmental initiatives where you donate money And that's the end of that transaction. Mm. You know, you walk away and perhaps you get a a newsletter about it eventually. But, like, there's no actual thing tying you to that thing anymore. So I wonder if if ownership is the foundational philosophical piece that really any new initiative should try and figure out how to embed that in the base of what they're doing Um, because I think that's the way to get long-term loyalty does that make sense yeah absolutely it goes back to that point that Faye mentioned earlier being like you're bought into the idea long term like and it does feel like quite a rare thing but you're absolutely right that feels like it's the sort of key component to why feet has been or certainly feels to us like a really successful initiative even though it's quite early and it's you know it's only a few years old and it also feels like it can be yeah expanded it's an idea that can can exist anywhere around the world with with and, and all it needs is community to be able to mm. grow so yeah in that sense that's why you know i think it just is so exciting and 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 i think it is really um infectious to like hearing you talk about it as well um, and all those artists that are involved i'm sure they feel like they are taking something like solid action like you say there's something tangible yeah. that's exactly the right word so um yeah it's great 
I was looking at the um, Music Declares Emergency website um, before our chat just to remind myself of this, the plethora of artists that you have on board and not just artists, but then you've got the organizations, then you've got the individuals and, you know, you could really look at that website and just picture, you know, a field of wind turbines, really. Uh, Like it's just about, it's, you've, you've got the community there, they're engaged, they've signed up, you know, it's, it's about like plugging them into solutions. And you're doing that in many ways. It's just like adding feed on would just be another way that they can do that. Absolutely. It would be like the sort of a version of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Everyone could have their name on a wind turbine and, yeah. <laughs> you know, buy tickets to walk around there and uh, <laughs> see your see your favorite musician's wind turbine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say it was so it's so inspiring to hear what you're doing. And it's one of those crazy things that feels like it feels like a no-brainer once you've got to the final point. But obviously getting to that final point and creating the idea and creating an idea that's so tangible, effective and simple took this whole journey of research and it took mm. sort of going through this whole process. But that's when you know it's a great idea when you get to the end of it and you think, oh, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't everyone think of that? So it's it's amazing. Yeah. I'm glad you think so. And I'm still... I'm still I'm still not uh, an expert at telling the story. I realize every time I tell, I tell it a different way. And I'm just, it's just because it was such a long journey. And it really, oh. you could come at it from about 500 angles in terms of explaining it. So I hope, I hope it all makes sense. <laughs> Definitely does. Yeah. Um, Heidi, I've got, uh, Faye might well have more questions, but I, I've just got one more thing that I wanted to ask. Um, given that we're speaking to lots of different people involved with music and how they're taking climate action, what kind of role do you think that music and artists in particular can play in mobilizing action around the climate crisis getting um, not just other artists but fans uh, anybody to sort of think about it to, to, to do something do you think that musicians are in a unique position to be able to engage with people and influence people and and create that change oh my gosh uh, yes I couldn't agree more um who else gets carried around in the pockets of a fan you know like in the who else gets taken on walks and is in the ears of a fan like it's it's just musicians that have that intimate privilege and relationship of being brought into just you know the bedroom um and the car and all the mundane and most special parts of life and so because of that intimate relationship they have a position of influence which they can choose to exercise if they want like you know i've just been listening to phoebe bridges on repeat for about two years it feels like now (laughs) but um (laughs) i mean like anything she will say i will listen to but it's it's a beautiful scary power i feel that can be yielded if you choose to and i don't think that every artist needs to be um on a soapbox and i think a lot of artists just need to do their art and um because it's a scary thing to speak out for a lot of people and a lot of people are battling demons, you know, nothing about. So I'm not saying that everyone needs to take a microphone um, to this situation, but everyone should ask themselves if they can. I think that is a question that you can ask yourself and if you're up for it, um, just practice. Just practice practice having an opinion if it, if it actually 
if you have opinions, you know, like practice, like read articles, read widely and see what makes you feel. And then if you have opinions you want to share with your family, like that's sort of the way to start being an activist. You, you share it with the people who you care most about. And if they can understand what you're saying, then there's a high chance that people in your social media, social media followers will understand what you're saying. And, you know, so they're just the little tiny steps that you can take towards bringing the things you care about into your musical community. It's a powerful beacon if you choose to wield it, you know, but it's not for everyone as well. No, I just want to say that was put so well. It's um, that, that balance between understanding that musicians have that power, but don't, it's not, not every musician's in the right place in their life, their career, or particularly willing, or, you know, their, um, their creativity doesn't lend itself to that kind of speaking up and speaking out. So it's about, you know, if you can, and you want to, and you have, let's get past those hurdles, you know, let's get past that barrier that's stopping you if, if you are stopping. And if it doesn't suit you, that's fine as well. Just invest in feet. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It starts here. I can't help but feel quite excited listening back to that, Faye. Did you know much about feet before we spoke to Heidi? I had heard of feet, but it felt like one of those things where it's like, wow, these amazing people are doing something really complicated and really sort of far away and, and very kind of idealistic. But speaking to her, it really amazed me that she sort of started from a place of, you know, just having an interest in it. And it wasn't, it's step by step to getting to this place where you're, you're doing this amazing project. And it's not necessarily, I mean, it's incredibly impressive, but it's maybe not so, um, what's the word, alienating or something where you think, oh, wow, these mm. people are so great. I could never do that. It's like, oh, okay, she, well, she just did the learning. She just put the work in and, and started to sort of understand how it worked. And piece by piece, it, it fell into place. So... Yeah, that was what was really sort of standout to me and, and really inspiring. Yeah, we all need a bit more Heidi energy, I think. Like, I, I love the fact that she's just started calling up climate scientists to get information and inform herself. Um, you, you, you almost think like, I want Heidi on my team, right? <laughs> she's just <laughs> yeah. she's brilliant. Um, came away from that conversation really buzzing with the sort of potential of it. A few things that I thought were really interesting to come out of it. I, I mean... I suppose the idea specifically uh, came about because of the geography of where she is. She's in Australia. Australia is a, is, it continues to be a kind of huge um, coal-producing country. It's one of their main exports. But from a music perspective, fascinating because you, if you want to have an international profile as an Australian artist, you have to get on a plane pretty much, don't you? Like if, if you want, you know, you would probably come and spend months on end touring around Europe and it, it's just so much further away mm. from everywhere else. So, but I, I like that she sort of meets that challenge head on and has, has, has sort of said to herself and her friends, like, let's do something about this. That's love the sort of proactive, um, energy of that um in the podcast you also joked a bit about like you know if, if, if the idea was brought to the uk like this sort of like rock and roll hall of fame wind farm that we could, <laughs> we could I'm, I'm imagining that we could uh you know get involved with heidi and build something off the coast of suffolk and and, and get ed sheeran to invest in it or something but <laughs> it, that sounds far-fetched but the beauty of the idea or, or part of the beauty of the idea feels like that it could be picked up and put in different places and 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 you know in the uk that might be wind energy because that's what we've got a lot of but if it was taken to southern europe perhaps it would be solar energy as well or it, or it could be hydro energy in in another part of the world or something like that like the, the idea 
when you talk about it more it's sort of almost oddly simple isn't it it's it's such a like an ingenious concept yeah and i actually really love the concept of the rock and roll hall of fame wind farm because <laughs> now i'm picturing like the billy eilish wind turbine and it's like green and black well maybe it's blonde mm. now she's changed her hair color and then there's like yeah. the Ed Sheeran one that's like orange and then there's like yeah. the horrors have one and it's just like five black wind turbines standing by themselves yes I t- I i'm this into this I, I um this is a sign of just how sad i am but my, my on my birthday last year my wife had been listening to me and um she my 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 birthday she, treat did was she, to go on a, she listened to you for your birthday was she, that your birthday yeah treat? yeah she, uh, that was my treat yeah exactly once a year um we went we got on a boat and we went around the um the wind farm that's just off the coast of brighton on the south south coast of the uk because i'm always fascinated i've been fascinated with it and i didn't realize that you could go right out there out to sea wow. to see the wind farm and it is an incredible feat of engineering and i can imagine it i can i can mm. imagine that idea working and i can imagine it being something an idea that people connect to and i don't know like is it preposterous to suggest that if you knew that your favorite artist was involved with the supply of a clean local energy that that would actually be a reason to go out and get that energy like i i kind of I th- Greg, I think, maybe I think we're right. giving away this idea a bit too easily here. <laughs> I know we are, aren't <laughs> this we? Is too good. Exactly. Hang on, hang <laughs> on. Yeah, let's let's hush hush this one down. I know, I know. Um, a question I wanted to sort of ask ask you, Faye, as, as your experience as a musician, mm. like li- life as an artist of any form is is kind of like unpredictable in terms of um, finances and income and things like that because it does rely on different you know it's 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 not a sort of nine to five job it does involve say performing shows that might one might happen uh six months after another and uh, you might have a clutch of things together or you might have a record out and all these sort of things and and one thing that i thought was really interesting takeaway from what heidi was saying was if you're an artist and you make a little bit of money and you're trying to support yourself you're looking you probably are looking for ways that are relatively kind of safe bets in terms of an investment and you want to invest in something that's you know close to your morals and so that's another dimension to this that I thought was really interesting. So instead of, you know, if you, if you, as an artist, she, she mentioned all of the people that she'd got involved, her Australian kind of um, artists that are all fairly kind of high profile that, that wanted to basically put any money that they'd made into something that was one, a fairly kind of safe investment for their own future and two, a clean investment for the future of other people. So again, that ticks like a really interesting box here for that project, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, definitely. And you can you can almost tell it's artist driven because it's. I think a lot a lot of the time people's solutions are like, oh, why don't we get the artist to donate some of their fee to plant trees? Mm. Why don't we get the artist to pay for this, pay for that, to to find solutions for climate issues? And you know, when you are a touring artist, you you get the money after everyone else has had their cut, you know, the promoter, the venue, everybody. And if you're touring on a huge scale, then you are probably making quite a lot of money. But if you're touring on a sort of average scale, then then it's really, you're, you're breaking even. And it's not, it's not like you have these, looks like you have all of this money and you really, it doesn't really work out like that because the more you make, the more you end up spending on production and crew and travel and all this stuff. So yeah, it was, you can tell it's this artist led in a way because it's like, well, artists need, to feel secure as well and we also you know it's not it's not charity it's an investment and that's like a very mm. different mindset and a much more attractive one in a lot of ways you know you can't just throw money at problems but if you can throw money at it and it throws money back at you <laughs> I yeah. Don't know. Well, it's, then. it's yeah but it's, it's like it's like when um i think i can't remember exactly the story but uh 
somebody like Kim Gordon or, or one of those kind of really heroic like alt rock heroes of the past had taken some advice that was like when you get your first paycheck from your album or tour like invest it in something safe like a house like don't go don't go and chuck TVs out of the window like as unrock and roll as this sounds like think about that your security for the future mm. and, and oddly like the very current sort of way of doing that like a uh, clean energy is only going in one direction in terms of the demand for it and the investment in it and so oddly like there almost isn't anything safer to put your money in than um don't quote me on that like please like manage your money however you want <laughs> listening to this i'm not your available. financial advisor exactly <laughs> but i guess um, from an outside observer's point of view i'm, I'm thinking like yeah like maybe that is a relatively kind of sound investment because and, and so that's why i was just so impressed hearing from heidi because i think there's so many different angles and perspectives to this project that I really do think is great and smart and delivers. It's just, it's just, it's just excellent. Mm. And I suppose the final thing is just that my final takeaway from it was that I think it shows a bit like what you're doing with Music Declares Emergency. Community is absolutely key to action. And Heidi's gone out and she basically messaged all of her friends that she plays festivals with in Australia and has come across and has become mates with and said, I've come up with this idea come with me like take this leap of faith like if you believe this is the right thing to do and and it just shows what strength in numbers can do mm. like you can you can literally get a, a clean energy solar farm built in rural australia by texting your pals who will make music and saying come and do this with me and that is inspiring in itself right mm. yeah it's inspiring and it's, it's incredible that she achieved it as well you know it's it's massive respect to her definitely and so we're going to take Heidi's idea and we're going to keep it for ourselves <laughs> no we're not we're going to uh, we're, we're hopefully basically I would love for Heidi to um to come back on the podcast one day and tell us all about having launched it in different parts of the world because I really do think it's such a great idea so um before we go Faye we should leave everybody with some recommendations what have you got for this podcast I mean there's many organizations but there's two I'd like to highlight from the music industry who are sort of advocating for equality in the music industry so um i have their instagram handles because that's the world that i live in but i'm sure you can find them <laughs> by googling um so one is she said so and that's a really okay. great platform for women in music they post on their job availabilities advice um it's just a really really good platform to find out what's going on and feel you know safety in numbers because it is an incredibly male dominated industry um mm -hmm. So she said so, and that's at she said dot so on Instagram. And the other is Black Lives in Music. Um, they got involved and took part in one of our panels at the weekend. And obviously, I mean, it's about really increasing racial equality in the music industry, which when we look at the artists that we love, it looks like there's loads of equality. But when you go into the, the record labels and, you know, the upper echelons, it doesn't look like that at all. So, um, yeah, it's just follow those two accounts. That's at Black Lives and Music. Um, and there's a Black Music Coalition as well, which you can look up, which are also great. And you don't have to be a black person or a woman to follow these accounts. Guys, white guys follow these accounts as well. It's really important. So um, follow them, get information and, yeah, just keep improving equality in the music industry because that's incredibly important definitely we're gonna right after we finish recording make sure that we're following both those accounts to to uh follow the brilliant work that they're both doing um 
After speaking to Jamie Oban from the 1975's team last week, I, I did catch up with the BBC's Greta Thunberg documentary that's been on the last few weeks. It's called A Year to Change the World. That's on iPlayer. Um, do go and check that out. I felt I wanted to do that after I'd heard from Jamie talking about all the the story of, of working with her and collaborating with, with the band. Um, my recommendation this week's a little bit different. Um, I've I want to shout out an app actually it's called Kogo and it's something that I've been using for the last few months and basically it's like a real-time carbon tracker and so you can see where you're spending your money and if you're spending your money with organizations or places that are basically taking seriously sustainability um, Ooh, which I think is great y- yeah it's really really good because it's hard you know you know how we all kind of want to oh, i say i say we all like i, I, I guess i got speaks from personal experience i, I want to make sure that wherever i'm um spending my money i want to make sure that the organizations that it's going to are taking sustainability seriously that's really important to me and it's a really powerful thing that as an individual people can do um we've talked about it before when you, you mentioned like you know where you do your banking where mm. like making sure your pension is in you know a place that isn't invested in fossil fuels and things like that and so kogo is really great it makes it really really simple i mean you, you do have to connect it up to your bank account which some people will feel comfortable with other people maybe less so but you know i I, having read all this stuff i I felt that that was fine um and so it's really interesting because at the end of the month you kind of get this little summary and just go that you've sent you've spent your money in these places and um your kind of carbon footprint is this and then it offers you the chance to offset it with different kind of carbon offset schemes does it tell you how um environmentally friendly the local pub is <laughs> it just uh, it doesn't unfortunately maybe that's like the next iteration of the app like how yeah how, how environmentally friendly is your beer um <laughs> yeah. so yeah there, there's a couple of recommendations for you to go away with this week um but yeah all, all is left for me to say is um thank you very much to Heidi Lemfer for being our guest on this time on uh sounds like a plan thank you to you Faye sounding much more refreshed this week I'm glad that you're uh, you've managed to have a little bit of a rest yeah. and uh we'll be ready and ready to go next week I'm sure with all of the music declares emergency stuff again and thank you for listening and we will see you next time on the podcast This episode of Sounds Like a Plan was hosted by Faye Milton and myself, Greg Cochran. The podcast is edited by Emma Snook with artwork and co-production by Stuart Stubbs. Our theme music is by lightandthunder.com. Sounds Like a Plan is a new allotment podcast, newallotment.com for more information about them. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>